Good morning and welcome to our, to our worship service. We're very glad that you're here today. We are very thankful for the privilege that we have to be together as Christians. And we're always thankful to have visitors with us. We encourage you to come back. It may be that you are looking for a church home. And as we often say here, we would love to have you consider the work here at Olive Branch. We would like to have you a part of the family here. And I know that the elders would be more than happy to sit down to answer any questions that you might have to find out how you could contribute to the work of the church in this community. We're going to be looking today at the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews as we think about a life of faith. What separates us from the world is the fact that we are people of faith. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 7, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. What does it mean to walk by faith? What does it mean to be a person of faith? In chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, we have a lengthy discussion of faith and what it means to live or to walk by faith. I want us to look at chapter 11 for a minute or two as we think about a life of faith. There are no doubt many challenges inherent in living by faith. And yet when you look at chapter 11, you read about people who were victorious as they lived here upon this earth. Why? Because they lived by faith. I want to begin by describing a life of faith. If someone were to ask you, what is a picture of faith? What would you say? I want to begin by talking about a couple of the fallacies that relate to faith. There are no doubt many misconceptions by those in the world about a life of faith. There are some that would have the idea that to live by faith is to live in some kind of superstitious way. And then there are those that would say that, well, if you claim to be a person of faith, that what you're doing is demonstrating a blind leap in the dark. I don't think that's the case at all. But rather, I believe that we are people of faith because we have evidence. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. As we think about the fallacy of faith, compare that to the facts that relate to faith. Listen, if you would, to what the writer said in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance, the realization of things hoped for, the evidence or confidence of things not seen. The word evidence means this, a strict proof or demonstration, a proof which thoroughly convinces the understanding and determines the will. What does that say? It tells me that faith is not some blind leap in the dark, it's not superstition, but rather there is proof or evidence 
that leads me to a life of faith. Let me give you a couple of proofs for faith. The first thing that I would, that I would call your attention to is the proof of revelation. Now there have been a lot of people down through time that have sought to dismiss God's word with the wave of a hand. Well, let me tell you what, before you begin dismissing the word of God as a piece of fiction, as a book of superstition, as a collection of fables, you better do your homework. You better understand that this book is inspired of Almighty God. When we talk about the Bible, we are really talking about 66 books that have a unifying theme that were provided unto us by Almighty God. Paul said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. There are any number of passages of scripture that underscore that this book is not the mere product of man, but rather it comes to us by Almighty God. Peter would say that God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He would go on to say that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. And the idea there is it's not something that mankind has originated. It's not something that came about according to the whims and dictates of man. But rather, as he would say, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so this book has marks of inspiration. And that's a great study in and of itself. When you start talking about the existence of God and making a case for God and telling people in the world that you are a person of faith, they may, know, they may wanna know why. And you need to say that proof number one is revelation. Revelation that comes to us from Almighty God. There is a second proof that I would call attention to, and that is the proof of creation. Now, listen to what the writer said in verse three. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. There are some people that have the idea that matter is eternal. What the writer here is saying is that God made something from nothing. How did God create the world? Well, the Bible says that he spoke this world into existence. God is the one who said, according to Moses in Genesis chapter one, let there be light. The psalmist in Psalm 33 said, by, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. In looking at the book of Hebrews, the writer makes a great argument for creation in chapter three at verse four. He said, every house is built by someone but he that built all things is God. The building in which we worship in on a regular basis had a builder, had an architect, a designer, if you please. Well, as we think about faith in God, 
and how it relates to us. We understand that God is the one that has given us revelation. He is the one that is our creator. Now I want you to listen again to the definition of the word evidence. It means a strict proof or demonstration. A proof which thoroughly convinces the understanding and determines the will. So when I look at Revelation, what occurs? Well, there is the convincing that this book is true. And the consequence of that is it determines my will, the direction that I choose in this life. The same thing is true with regard to creation. There are, there are a lot of people in our world today that dismiss the idea of God and they say that the world is the product of evolution or some cataclysmic explosion. That's nonsense. Why? Because every house is built by someone. He that built all things is God. Listen again to what the writer said. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We are convinced of that. There is this deep-seated conviction in my mind that what I believe, it's true, it's viable. To live a life of faith is not some blind leap in the dark. It's not superstition, but rather it's based on evidence. Evidence that's before us. It's in view by revelation and creation. Let me talk secondly about the demands of a life of faith. I would begin by talking about the prerequisite to faith. When, when we think about a life of faith, what is it that God, what is it that God demands of me or of you for that matter? What's the prerequisite to a life of faith? Let me just call attention, drop down and look at verse eight. There's one word that's used here that I believe underscores the whole idea. The writer here is talking about Abraham, who is called the friend of God. In verse eight, the writer said, by faith, Abraham, listen to him, obeyed. When he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. The prerequisite to a life of faith is obedience, a willingness on my part to obey God, to do what God says. As a matter of fact, when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, the idea of faith, well, let me just say it this way. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. When you read about the great people of Hebrews chapter 11, you are reading about people that lived in faith and obedience to Almighty God. Now, let me just talk for a minute or two about some of the principles that relate to faith as we think about the demand of faith. First, the wisdom of faith. Listen to what the Hebrew writer said in verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to, to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is 
and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The wisdom of faith is simply this. I examine the evidence and the conclusion is there is a God. That is my belief system. Did you know that everyone is a believer? You either believe there is a God or you don't. Now somebody might say, well, how can I know? And they claim to be agnostic. They say you can't say there is a God, you can't say there isn't a God. Let me just say this. You might as well say there isn't a God if you're agnostic. Because the evidence says or suggests that there is a God. And so to claim to be an agnostic is a form of belief. You just don't believe there's a God. You don't believe you have enough evidence. Well, you see, the fact of the matter is there is evidence. Now, if you look at verse 3 again, the writer said, By faith we understand that the worlds were made by the word of God. We are convinced of that. Wisdom dictates that we come to the conclusion that there's a God, that we live a life of faith. Now, there are some principles that are outlined here. We talk about the wisdom of faith. In verse 4, we are face to face with the worship of faith. Listen to what, listen to what is said about Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. When you look at the story of Cain and Abel, these two brothers presented sacrifices to God. Cain offered a sacrifice from the fruit of the ground. Abel offered an animal sacrifice. The Bible says God had respect unto Abel and unto his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. What was the difference? One was offered by faith, one wasn't. Somebody says, well, how did they know? You remember what Paul said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God? They had been informed about the kind of sacrifice to offer God. When we worship God, it is an act of faith dictated or outlined by Almighty God. And then there is the walk of faith. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Go back and read Genesis chapter 5 sometime. And you'll read about the fate of mankind summed up in the expression, and he died, a commentary of man as a result of the garden experience. But it was said of this great patriar patriarch in days gone by, Enoch, that he walked with God. The idea of walking with God is simply another way of saying that he had fellowship with God. He was walking in harmony with the will of God. When we live a life of faith, we're walking in harmony with the will of God. We have fellowship with God. We're walking in the light, as John would say in 1 John chapter 1 at verse 7. And then what about the work of faith? Look at what is said in verse 7 about Noah. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, 
prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. It was said of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God had decreed that he would destroy the world by means of a flood. In verse 14, God told Noah to build an ark of gopher wood. In verse 22, we have this commentary on the life of Noah. The Bible says, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Now look at, look at that in connection with verse seven. I said a moment ago that the prerequisite to faith is obedience. When you look at the life of Abel, what do you see? A man who demonstrated faith and obedience. Enoch, faith and obedience. Noah, faith and obedience. And so, that's what God demands of us. Finally, the wealth of faith. Look again at verse six. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In a minute, we're gonna talk about the blessings associated with living by faith or living a life of faith. But note, if you would, what the writer said, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A life of faith is a life of victory. The song we sang just a moment ago. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. To know that as a child of God, as a believer, as somebody who lives by faith, to know that my life will end in victory, that's a great blessing. Thirdly, the destiny of faith. What about the promises that I have as a child of God? Do I have promises extended to me as a believer, as a person of faith? Absolutely. Let me begin by talking about the pilgrimage of faith. Look, if you would, down in verse 13. The writer said, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. If you wanted a good summation of what your life is all about, it's right there in the latter part of verse 13. You are a stranger. You are a pilgrim. Why is that? Because this earth is not your home. The bottom line is we are, we are simply traveling through this life. We're on a journey. We are, we are on a pilgrimage. We're born into this world and then at some point in time in history we exit this world through death. Life is extremely brief. James said that your life is compared to a vapor. It appears for a little while, a little time, and then it vanishes away. How long do you expect to live? If I were to ask you to just write down a number in terms of longevity, how long do you think you'll live? You think you'll live to be 70? Some here today have already exceeded 70. Do you expect to be here at 80? 
85, 90. Had somebody tell me not long ago, he said, my goal, he said, I want to live to be 100. That's great. So you live to be 100. You're not going to be here forever. 100 years may seem like a long time, but the bottom line is this. You're still going to leave this earth. When it's all said and done, you're still a stranger. You're still a pilgrim. Why? Because this earth, like it, love it, hate it, whatever, this earth is not your home. I don't care if you are a believer or a non-believer. This earth is not your home. You were not built to be here forever. Your body's going to wear out. It's going to ultimately give way to the aging process. Read Ecclesiastes chapter 12 sometime. And note, note how Solomon describes the aging process. He said it eventually ends in what? Death, doesn't it? He said man goes to his eternal home. He said the body returns to dust and the spirit to God who gave it. Now, the psalmist said you may live to be 70 or 80 years of life. He said, but it is soon cut off and we fly away. We sing the song, I'll fly away. That's exactly right. That inward spirit, it's bound for eternity. And so, doesn't matter really how long you live, it's really not quantity, it's quality that matters. And then there is a second thing that I would call attention to. And that is the passing of life to death in faith. Listen, if you would, to what the writer said again in verse 13. Now, bear in mind, in verse 4, regarding Abel, the Bible says, by faith, Abel. Look at verse 7, by faith, Noah. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. Now, verse 13. What about these people who live by faith? These all died in faith. You're going to die one day. When you die, are you going to die in faith? Are you going to die as a person of faith? Or will you die without faith? John in the Revelation said in chapter 14, verse 13, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Let me tell you what, when I die, I want to die in faith. I want to know that there is for me a home in heaven. Very quickly, let me talk about the place reserved for those of faith. Look at verse 14. For those who say, say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to, to return. But now, he said, they desire a better. That is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. 
Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. What does that suggest? Person of faith, doesn't it? You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Last month, I had the opportunity to be a part of the Spiritual Sword Lectures. The night I spoke, Alan Harris preached that same evening. And he went to John chapter 14 in his discussion of eternity. And he cited what Jesus said about that eternal abiding place. And he was talking about the confidence that we as God's people can have in heaven. And he said, speaking of Jesus, when the Lord acknowledged, in my Father's house are many mansions, he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. And he said, that little word so is an important word. He made the correlation to Acts chapter 17, verse 11, where the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. What Jesus was saying about heaven is this, it is so. It's a fact. Why live by faith? Why die in faith? Because ultimately, that's what it's all about. What, what is it that, what's your ultimate goal? If I were to ask you to just sit down and write a list of your goals, you might have a lot of good goals in life. Let me tell you what, at the top of your list, in bold letters, it ought to read heaven. If you miss heaven, you'll miss everything. This whole life is about making preparation for the next life. How do we make preparation for the next life? We live by faith. We view ourselves as pilgrims, as strangers. We understand that we can't, we can't hook our wagon to this world. We are, as Paul said, setting our affections, our mind, on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Why? Because when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we shall appear with him in glory, according to Colossians 3, verse 4. I want to ask you this question today. Is your life a life of faith? If it's not, I want to encourage you to sign on today to live by faith. What do you need to do? Well, it begins by believing that Jesus is who he claims to be or who he claimed to be, and that is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. The Hebrew, writers, the Hebrew writer said many, many years ago, without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to him. So first and foremost, you have to have some conviction. The evidence is there. Do you believe it? And then would you be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin? Confess the name of Jesus before others. And then as Jesus said, would you be willing to be baptized? Why be baptized? Well, listen to Jesus. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. When you're baptized into Christ, you contact the blood of Christ, according to Romans 6, 3, and 4. The blood of Christ 
is what washes away your sins, Acts 22, 16. Once, you're, once you are identified with the Lord in that watery grave of baptism, you rise to walk in newness of life. And the Bible says God adds you to his church, Acts 2, 47. Maybe you're here today, maybe your life is not what it ought to be. Maybe you began a life of faith, but for whatever reason, living that life has just not materialized. Maybe your life is not what it ought to be. Let me tell you, we are God's family. And a family can encourage, and a family can pray, and we want to do that with you today. So whatever need, whatever need you may have, wherever you may be spiritually speaking, we want to encourage you to come as we stand and sing.